Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football recruiting and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. Notre Dame continues to add through recruiting and the transfer portal to start 2024. The Irish landed a pair of four-star commitments in the 2025 class from defensive end Christopher Burgess Jr. and safety Ethan Long. Notre Dame also added a pair of graduate transfers ahead of next week's start to the spring semester and Marshall wide receiver slash kick returner Jaden Harrison and Northwestern defensive back Rod Hurd II. The last of those names is here with us today. Hurd totaled 85 tackles, four tackles for loss, one sack, one interception, two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery, and four pass breakups as Northwestern's primary nickelback last season. Rod, thanks for joining us. I appreciate you having me. Rod, to start, what led to you entering the transfer portal, and then why was Notre Dame the right choice for you? Well, um, you know, all in all, I mean, I'm a graduate transfer, so I had a pretty long career at Northwestern and, uh, you know, had a lot of success there. Um, but ultimately, I felt like, you know, I just wanted to m- move somewhere else and, you know, continue my journey as a as a collegiate athlete and find another home um, where I can, you know, take the next step in my career. And uh, so, I, you know, I decided to enter the transfer portal and uh, Notre Dame seemed like the best option. And uh, based off of all the things that were going around around the program, you know, all the pieces that are being added, as well as the current coaching staff that's already there and, you know, the success that the programs already have had, you know, it's no brainer to you know, anybody would want to choose a program like Notre Dame. So that's why I decided to go there. Rod, um, it's curious because a lot of guys jumped into the portal before their bowl game from all over the country. You waited and finished out your season, had a great Las Vegas against Utah and so forth. Why was it important for you to kind of finish that season out before you started exploring? Well, uh, the start of the season uh, for Northwestern was very rocky, um, given all the, like, the media buzz surrounding the program. And, of course, uh, the year before, you know, us, Northwestern, us only winning one game. (laughs) So, you know, the goal of the entire program at that time was just to turn everything around. And, you know, based off the season that we had, you know, we we did that. And I just felt like it was right um, to finish it off the right way and, you know, play through the bowl game and, you know, gain the full satisfaction of accomplishing, you know, all that we have accomplished over the season. I, w- I want to say- narrow your window a lot. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But um I'm happy. I wouldn't change the way I did things. Rod, I want to stay there with your this last season at Northwestern. Uh, you mentioned the media buzz with with Pat Fitzgerald being replaced um, leading into the season. Why do you think you guys were able to have the success that you did have? I think a lot of people thought that, especially coming off of last season, that this wouldn't be a season that would end in a bowl bowl mm-hmm. appearance for Northwestern. Why why were you guys able to get to where you got at the end of this past season? I think it was just uh, the brotherhood that we had in the locker room. Um, I think it was the full commitment from the administration as well as the coaching staff and all the other staff's equipment, you know, uh, athletic trainers as well. Um, just fully committing into the vision that we had as as players, as, as um, individuals and, in, you know, having a successful year, I think that, um, you know, when Fitz was fired, it was a a bombshell, a shock for a lot of people in the program. And there was a lot of, uh, you know, uncomfortable questions about what would happen, you know, in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, I think also, you know, we were lucky to have um, Dave Brown, Coach Brown, on the staff, you know, Fitz hired him to be our DC for the year, but, you know, him already coming in and establishing, you know, his, uh, his leadership quality role, um, you know, uh, being able to connect to the players on a deeper level. 
I think he was a perfect person in that time of need, you know, to step into that situation, you know, lead us and kind of galvanize the entire team together. And I think that we just all focused on, you know, what the main thing was, which is getting back to winning games, playing Wildcat football. So, um, you know, through that process with all the questions, I think just the strong brotherhood we had and, you know, the great leadership that we had in the, in the administration, you know, leaning on the players and the coaches for, you know, the direction that we need to go in. I think all that together allow for us to have, you know, the success we had this year. Rod, what's your understanding of your role in Notre Dame's defense? And did you consult with Brandon Joseph at all about his Notre Dame experience? Yeah, I talked to uh, B. Joe about his Notre Dame experience. Um, he enjoyed it. He, you know, loved the coaches, Coach O'Leary, Coach Freeman. Um, he thought it was a, a a good decision for him to to leave the Northwestern and go to Notre Dame. I mean, his decision had didn't have really much impact on my decision um, as well. I mean, but it was great, you know, to have great referrals. And, of course, you know, there's other guys that um, I know that went to Notre Dame as well, but – um, as for my role in the defense, um, talking with Coach O'Leary, talking with Coach Golden, um, it's going to be more uh, safety-based. Um, I'm looking at their scheme. I mean, they do a lot of different exotic things. So, of course, I'll still be able to, you know, move around. And I think my versatility as a player is, you know, what they were looking for to be able to, you know, play multiple different positions within that their system. Um, but it's probably mainly safety base. Yeah. Rod, what, what makes you confident in your ability to make that transition to safety? And then also how important do you think having, showing that versatility would be to the next step in your career, being a potential NFL player and having the experience at, at nickelback cornerback and also safety going up to the next level? Well, I'm confident, you know, just in the fact that, you know, I've already, had, you know, experience of playing really all the different positions in the back end. Um, I think this is just another going to Notre Dame and, you know, joining the the the, the defense that they already have and being coached by Coach O'Leary and Coach Golden and, and, and Mickens. Uh, I think that that's just adding another uh, layer to, you know, my game as a player and expanding, you know, uh, my role to be even better at, you know, the safety position. I think that, um, you know, I've played it in the past, but m most of my snaps have been mainly in the nickel position. But I think that, you know, being able to, you know, show or, or get reps and get coached at a high level and, you know, the safety position as well as being able to still, you know, move around, I think that that's just going to help me that much more to be able to, to make me a you know all around player and make me, um, you know more valuable to NFL teams. You know um, versatility, being able to play different positions, being able to be, um, you know, an impact player at a lot of different places on the field. That only just gives you more value as a player, and you know that's what I mainly was looking for. You know to find out of you know the transfer portal and the place that I wanted to end up. You know to be able to put myself in the best position when I, you know, eventually make the transition to try to go to the NFL. Cool. And, and speaking of traits that the NFL would like, I mean, if you're playing nickel, you can't be a slow guy. Um, so I'm wondering, what do you bring to the table as far as a 40 time to the safety position? I think, I mean, Coach O'Reilly talked about that with me, um, that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good trait to be able to have, and I think all around for our, the whole entire secondary, but, um, you know, have, have being able to be able to have speed and be able to check multiple different, you know, guys. I mean, of course, you know, playing safety, you're probably going to mainly be checking tight ends or bigger bodies. Um, but being able to, you know, be explosive uh, when it comes to filling the alley, you know, being able to cover ground in the post, uh, you know, Playing, playing from off and 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 you know man to man. So you know having a, a higher level of speed 
in that position only will equate to, you know, being able to, you know, make more plays and, you know, be more of an impact overall for the defense. You, you've mentioned Coach O'Leary a, a number of times now. What what was your sense for what he's like as a coach? How important was it to you to see what he's done with someone like Xavier Watts and getting the chance to play alongside him and also his experience with Kyle Hamilton? Uh, Meeting Coach O'Leary for the first time was great. Like He's a great guy, uh, great personality, great energy. You know, he has uh, a, a good heart. Um, he coaches for the right reasons. Um, I could tell that he has a great connection and relationship with his players. Um, and of course, most of all, like, you know, I, he knows he's talking about, you know, he coached a lot of uh, good players and, you know, put a lot of players in position to be successful at the next level. So um, all of those things combined, you know, I think that, you know, he is a pretty, pretty great coach. And I think, you know, I'm I'm very excited to get to work with him you know, moving forward. When, when I was looking back over your old rivals profile, and I think Tom Lemming listed you in his book as a running back um, coming out of high school. But um, I noticed that Sauce Gardner was in the same class and he's from Detroit. And then he ended up at Cincinnati. I know you had a Cincinnati offer. Do you remember much about Marcus Freeman from that uh, time when he was at Cincinnati trying to recruit you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... He he definitely did recruit me. Uh, I remember back in the day, um, he, I went on a visit. Me and my father went on a visit, and uh, um, when he offered me, and we had a great conversation, and you know, talked to Coach Mixes as well when he was there. Um, and at that time, I knew he was, you know, just talking to him, um, and seeing what he was doing at Cincinnati, um. We already knew that, you know, more than my dad is funny story. My dad actually went after, you know, me uh, him sat down and talked to Coach Freeman and we had a good conversation or whatever. And my dad actually told me, he said, yeah, you know, I would. That's the type of coach I would want you to play for. But, you know, if you came here, like you probably won't be coached by him because he's probably not going to be here. So, <laughs> uh, so it's kind of funny, you know, once I went down there and visited, we kind of was a full circle moment you know, talking to Coach Freeman and saying like, yeah, you know, uh, he missed me back when he was at Cincinnati, but, you know, now we get to kind of go, uh, re, re, full circle and come back and now I get to, you know, play for him and, you know, get that experience. Um, so it's it's kind of cool. I just want to follow up too with your Detroit roots because there were several guys on the team a few years ago from there um, and Khaled Kareem being one of them, his dad Ken being – how well do you know their family? Uh, very well. I mean, Khalid, we went to the same uh, high school. Right. Uh, he he was a, a good mentor for me, you know, as a young player in high school. You know, I looked up to him, you know, being a freshman, coming up to varsity. And, you know, he was already doing his thing. So, you know, we have a, a close relationship. Um, there's other guys, as well, like Ovi Gufu. He, mm -hmm. yeah. he so we uh, – former alum from Notre Dame. I mean, we were, we went to the same high school as well. Um, so I have a lot of different ties, you know, to the program and a lot of different guys that, you know, have gone through the program and seen a lot of success. Uh, speaking of Michigan, Rod, I think when people saw you go in the transfer portal and knowing the success that Michigan is having, I think people thought maybe that's where you would end end up. What? How hard of it was a decision to to weigh those home state schools? I think you were considering Michigan State as well. Um, Michigan State's in a, a bit of a re rebuilding process. What what was it like considering those schools in this process before uh, picking Notre Dame? Uh, it was it was a difficult process. I mean, especially Michigan. You know, it really came down to Michigan and Notre Dame, mm -hmm. and I felt like you know, both schools, you know, I would be able to be successful and both fit. And, you know, it was kind of a, uh, it was tough, you know, it was, it was very tough. I mean, you can't go wrong. I mean, it's Michigan. <laughs> I'm actually very blessed to have those choices, you know, mm -hmm. and I recognize that, you know, that those were the choices of mine to pick from, but ultimately I felt, you know, just a, uh, 
a stronger connection to Notre Dame. I, you know, I think, you know, going on my visits, um, of course I enjoy Michigan and I, and, and, you know, talking to all the coaches there, coach Clink, um, Harbaugh, the players I have, of course, the, you know, some Michigan schools. So there's a lot of guys that I know that are already on the team and, and, and Donovan Edwards and Macari Pay. Like it's, you know, so going to Michigan would have been going home, but uh, Notre Dame felt like the right choice. I felt like, you know, the way um, they recruited me in this process, um, all that they have to offer. And then, you know, looking forward on the team that's, you know, they're trying to put together and and trying to make a run at the at the at the national championship. You know, I felt like, you know, I wanted to be a part of that. And, you know, uh, that's what kind of made me go with Notre Dame. But it definitely was a tough decision. I mean, both are great schools, but go Irish. <laughs> Before I ask you my my last question, how how many schools did contact you once you jumped into the portal? Uh, it was it was a lot. It was I couldn't tell you the number of schools, but um, it was a, a whole bunch of different schools. I mean, Ohio yeah. State, Florida, Miami. Louisville, I mean, Iowa, Wisconsin. I mean, it's a, a, a whole bunch of different schools. I mean, the, the, the portal process is crazy. Once you put your name in there, it's literally in a day, yeah. 10 different schools blowing my phone up. So it definitely was wild. And it's definitely hard to, you know, weed out on, you know, the different opportunities that were, you know, being offered. But, you know, the main thing was going somewhere where I felt like I could get great coaching and be able to, you know, take the next step as a player, put myself in the greatest position to, you know, uh, have opportunities and be playing and play on the biggest stage. Um, and then uh, also, you know, just the transition of the environment and the people and the culture and all that kind of stuff. So those are like the main things and, you know, keeping it to those, you know, Notre Dame beat everybody else out. Okay. The my last question for you then is this: You know, Al Golden helped build Notre Dame. They're the number five total defense in the country, number one pass defense in the country. Did you or your dad ask him about his plans? How long he plans to stay at Notre Dame? We did not actually. We didn't okay. ask him that question. Okay. And did you get the sense that? that was irrelevant as far as your experience, your one year experience there. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Rod, I, we talked a lot about the defense. I'm curious if you gave any thought to what Notre Dame has coming back or coming in on offense. Obviously that's an important part of being able to win for a national championship as well. So were you, uh, did you reach out to Riley Leonard? Were you aware of, of the guys that they're bringing in from other places um, on offense or even some of the current players on offense that have already been at Notre Dame and, and what, what about that maybe excited you in terms of where this program is heading? Yeah, that definitely was a, another factor. Um, especially, you know, Riley Leonard, um, you know, he, he reached out to me. I talked to him. Um, I have a lot of respect for him. You know, I played at Duke. I played, we played Duke. I, North, we never beat them. I've never beat them in my career. <laughs> um, He's a uh, you know very good quarterback, and I you know him adding him as long alongside all the other other guys and other pieces that they're adding. I think that they're gonna have something special over there. Um, so that definitely was uh, impactful in you know my decision and looking at you know who's the offense that is going to accompany, you know, the defense that's already, you know, coming back with, you know, the other pieces that's added. And then also, you know, gaining that, you know, competitive environment and that inspiration, you know, being around other, you know, high-level players, um, you know, that was also something that, you know, uh, made me uh, want to, you know, join join the program. Last one I have for you, Rod, is NIL is obviously out and abound 
um, and especially big in the transfer portal for guys that are looking to play their last years or um, making a decision of where they want to go. What sort of role did that play in your decision and what, how much did you need to understand? Like what sort of possibilities were, were within that at Notre Dame? Uh, I mean, it's a piece of the pie. I mean, cause everybody can see that, you know, it's, it's important to some level. Um, you know, for me, it wasn't all about NIL. Of course, it's about the fit and all those other things before that. Um, but that definitely was a component to the equation. Um, what is the other part of the question that you asked me? Just sort of like what, what, how, how did you go about learning what that, what was available to you at Notre Dame and, and that process and how, just sort of how that informed what you're, what you knew about the possibilities at Notre Dame? Um, you know, I think hats off to Notre Dame. I think that they were very, you know, I think most, I mean, most schools were, but I think that they were definitely very transparent on what they have to offer and, you know, what they do over there and all of the different, you know, resources and all of the different, you um, the well the at least the the marketing department over there that they have and mm -hmm. how they you know promote their players and 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 cultivate content especially being a school that's independent and not being connected to a conference and how valuable that is for them to have those strong media connections um they did a great job at explaining you know everything that they had over there and um i felt like that it definitely you know would be beneficial um, you know, for me in my career. And uh, that's, you know, yeah, that's what, another component of why I decided to go. Okay. All right, Rod. Well, that's all we have for you today. I re really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. Um, we, we're looking forward to following your Notre Dame career in the next, uh, the next year. Appreciate you. Appreciate you having me. Before we get to our question segment, I want to remind our listeners of our subscription promo for InsideIndieSports.com. We're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to the site. That will get you access to all of our premium content, the Insider Lounge message board, and you don't have to wait for the next podcast to ask us a question. You can take advantage of this offer by using promo code NDPOD, that's N-D-P-O-D, when you sign up for a subscription on InsideNDSports.com. You can also find a link to that deal in the podcast description or show notes. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on the Insider Lounge message board or on Twitter before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at ND. First one I have, Eric, is from at Charles W. Wolf. Please tell me Coach Freeman wouldn't be interested in Alabama. I know that it is, that isn't a question, but I just need someone to call my nerves. Well, I think... I hope I can calm your nerves and give you a little bit of insight into the process. So this is what happens when there's a coaching search. Sometimes a reporter has vetted candidates, but often there's either pressure from themselves or their bosses to put out a logistical li list of options. You know, who makes sense in this situation without measuring mutual interest or even one-sided interest? And then what happens is someone sees that list and they tweet out that so-and-so is a candidate. Uh, from Marcus Freeman's standpoint, uh, I think it's flattering. Sometimes agents will float somebody's name just to, you know, make sure that the place that they're at appreciates them. Um, I wouldn't expect there to be interest, serious interest on either side, even though Dan Lanning had a similar experience age profile, but he had connections to Alabama. He had been a GA there. He had coached in the SEC as a defensive coordinator at Georgia. Uh, but I wouldn't expect Marcus to become a serious candidate. I don't see what the upside is for him to consider following a legend at Alabama when he is building something at Notre Dame and he is getting the resources that he needs to build at Notre Dame. Yeah. I, first, I, and most importantly, I don't think Alabama would be interested in him. I think he has too much to learn. Um, like Im imagine if the, the two seasons you just had at Notre Dame happened the next two seasons at Alabama, like he would be maybe even fired. Like they were, they're not going to accept that those kinds of that kind of learning curve um, for its next head coach. Um, and then also I, I don't, 
I don't believe that Freeman would see this this job as a great fit for him personally. Um, so um, I don't. It doesn't seem very realistic to me that Marcus Freeman would be seriously pursued by Alabama or that he would leave for Alabama. Next question is from DJ at Soldier underscore Boyce. Dan Lanning and Marcus Freeman have very similar career profiles. Former linebacker coaches turned DC savvy recruiters, similar ages with. Dan Lanning getting a lot of buzz as a Saban replacement. Do you think Oregon would take take a real run at Freeman in the event they had an opening? Okay, and so as we're taping this, Dan Lanning has turned down an opportunity to pursue the Alabama job. And so there's not going to be an opening at Oregon. But hypothetically, uh, again, I think it's good when people think that and they may want to kick the tires on somebody. But again, same thing with Oregon with a little bit different situation. If you're market, Marcus Freeman, to what end does that make sense for the broader uh, uh, part, part of your – where are you trying to get to if you leave Notre Dame for Oregon? Is it just about money? Do you think it's easier to recruit there? Right now, Marcus Freeman's in a position to have a very good 2024. He's got – Again, um, the most transfers that Notre Dame's ever taken in a cycle, scholarship transfers, eight. He's got the number five defense in the country coming back with a lot of starters and and a lot of young, exciting, returning players. There's a lot to like about his situation at Notre Dame. Uh, I could see if he was frustrated in his first two years and and uh, there were all kinds of constraints that he didn't see when he took the job. I think it's kind of just the opposite, that things are kind of opening up for him. So for me, that doesn't make sense. I mean, yeah, the, the Oregon possibility, granted, it's, it doesn't seem like a possibility now because Dan Lanning says he's staying. It would make more sense to me that Marcus Freeman could see that as a as a fit for him um, because I think he would kill it as a recruiter for Oregon. Um and I think it it's it's certainly going to be easy. You won't have the academic challenges that you do have at Notre Dame, and you're never going to run short of money. It seems like at Oregon, um, as long as Phil Knight is alive. Um, so, so it's an interesting hypothetical because of that. I think the the unknown is what does Oregon look like as a big 10 member, how, how difficult is of a path? Will it be for Oregon moving forward? Can it sustain its success in the big 10? Um, what, how does that change? What Oregon look like? It could, it could make Oregon better. We don't, we don't know that. Um, it could make Oregon, it could be make things more difficult for Oregon. I don't know that we know that how that's going to play out either way. Um, and that's why they're committed so many, so many resources to Dan Lanning to try to make, that transition work, but um, we won't have to find out at least this off season if Marcus Freeman would would be a candidate or would would pursue that uh, job. Next question is from Michael Kelly at ND Lawyer nineteen ninety. I think that coaches are successful if they have better recruiting or they have a better system on the field or even off the field. Saban Nick Saban is an example of both. We know about Marcus Freeman's recruiting. But what does he do either schematically or off the field that's innovative? I, I don't know that Saban's X's and O's were um, unique or, um, you know, innovative necessarily as much as they were successful and he hired great people to run those. And I mean, like Kirby Smart was his defensive coordinator and, He's had a pretty good run of offensive coordinators, not all of them, but he's had a pretty good run of those. So what has Marcus Freeman done? I'll try to answer the question now that I've tried to put it into context. He's put together a top five defense. And I think what's a little bit different than what Marcus does than some other head coaches with defensive backgrounds done, he doesn't play it with heavy box on a regular basis. They play seven in the box a lot. Um, and, I think that contributes to them being the number one pass efficiency defense. And they did it without largely giving up, um, you know, having teams run over them. I think the Clemson game was a an exception where maybe they should have played with a heavy box. 
Uh, another thing I like what Marcus does that not everybody does is he leans into special teams. He lets his best players play on special teams. Nick Saban did that at Alabama, but a lot of coaches don't like to do that. I think his culture, uh, the fact that, you know, I think a lot of coaches talk about we're playing for our brothers and there's buy-in. Well, I mean, the Sun Bowl was a really good example of him flashing that culture and saying, yeah, we don't just talk it. Look at the guys that stepped up and played in this game and played for each other. You know, his retaining players in this issue or this era of the NIL and the transfer portal. Um, you know, one thing that Saban was really good, I, I would have liked to see if it continued to play out with the portal era is that great players were willing to wait their turn in his system. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that that would have continued, uh, but, but that was something that he was very successful at. And then with Marcus, to large extent, he's been making the right hires. And the last thing, and this is Saban ask is O-line, D-line driven. I, I was talking to um, Darren Pritchett, my radio partner about this last night. And I remember when Nick Saban first came to Alabama and Alabama wasn't Alabama anymore when he got there mm -hmm. and they built with offensive and defensive line first. Then they added the bells and whistles at the other positions. The first year they were barely 500 and they played in the independence bowl in Shreveport. Uh, so, but the very first building blocks were O-line, D-line. And Eric knows every independence bowl because he loves Shreveport so much. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think Marcus Freeman... I always send a condolence card to the teams that get invited there. <laughs> I, I think it's important to remember that Marcus Freeman was a very good defensive coordinator. He just he didn't like just end up in a role of a head coach for for a lack of reasons. Um, I think he's shown an ability to improve defenses. He knows how to confuse offenses and get a defense to play together. Um, and it, it's not like a one-note scheme. I think it, it can um, be evolving and i think al golden has continued that um for him at notre dame uh the innovative thing was something that i sort of tripped up on too because it's like i don't know that i would describe nick saban as innovative i think he just i think he did a lot of what everyone believes is how things should be done but he just did it better than everyone else um i also think nick saban was willing to change um like he his offense has evolved um, is he found ways to make his defenses adapt to the changes changes in offense? Um, so I I mean we could debate whether it's innovative or not. I, I I sort of think of innovative as someone being the first to something, and I don't know that there was anything that came to mind to me with Nick Saban. Now I'm not a Nick Saban like expert either. I'm sure some people who have followed Nick Saban could point to certain things like this was this is a, a place that he was very innovative, but um. So I, I think uh, that was that was sort of interesting to think of as like, well, what is Marcus Freeman innovative at? And I don't know that I would there's anything that I would necessarily point to as innovative, but I think he is doing a good job of building something. Um, and like you said, the ability to retain players, um, attract players, um, is is a key to what what Marcus Freeman is going to be able to do moving forward at Notre Dame. Being the primary recruiter for every recruit from beginning to end, I think is not something a lot of coaches do. No, um, I, I do think this might be overstating his role in some recruitments. I don't know that I would describe him as the primary recruiter, um, but he wants to be very involved. And that is, that is definitely important. Um, next question is from our pal Chuck Freebie at 46 sports. Is there anyone from Alabama's roster who you think will transfer to Notre Dame? So when a head coach leaves, the um, players on that team are not subjected to the underclassmen window, which closed on January 2nd. So they get 30 days, a fresh 30 to jump into the transfer portal if they like to. And, you know, the only I mean, Alabama has great players at just about every position. I mean, I could go through and say, boy, he would fit. He would fit. Keon Keeley, yeah, that would be nice to get him back. Um, what about Tyler Buckner? 
Yeah, well, yeah, Tyler Buckner, <laughs> already I is. was going to say right <laughs> off the bat, I, I wrote that down. Tyler Buckner already did, but um, he's going to lacrosse. I would say when you look at what's left for Notre Dame's needs in the portal right now, the only thing out there really is offensive tackle. Um, you know, maybe a luxury tight end. I don't even know that, uh, you know, the guy that I think about as a luxury tight end is the guy from uh, Stanford. What's his name? Urasek. Urasek, yeah. Urasek. So offensive tackle would be probably the only position for me at this point. Now, if this had happened earlier, then I think you'd have a longer shopping list. Yeah, I mean, if Keon Keeley really wanted to come back, come to Notre Dame, uh, I think it'd be hard for Notre Dame to say no to that. Yeah, they wouldn't say, nah. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know that that's going to be the case. Um, and I, I'm and curious. not play this year. I'm curious to see what these Alabama players do because classes started yesterday. So even if you go into the portal, can you transfer to the school for the spring semester, I don't, I don't know how that, I, I don't exactly know how that'll work. It depends on the school and what their deadline is for when you can start classes. I think Notre Dame, it's about a week that you can start late. And it doesn't matter if you've started a class somewhere else. No, is I there don't. Any think NCAA rule? That, is there any NCAA rule that pre- pre- prevents that? I do not believe that there's an NCAA rule that you could withdraw from your classes. It's more about getting. Into the time at the new school. Got it. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe that happens. I, I mean, because Alabama is Alabama, I would think that some of these guys will wait to see who's going to come now. Maybe. And I, I don't think this is going to be a long drawn out search. Like that's why we heard from Dan Landing. The already. AD said he expects somebody in the next 72 hours. Um, so, so maybe guys will wait to see. And especially since they have that 30 day window, although like you said, like, if you want to transfer out to go somewhere right now, you need to, you probably need to do that. So, and that might be tough to have, even if you did that today, like that's unless you know and have a really good relationship then and you can make it work fast. That's, it's just a small turnaround, a quick turnaround. Um, And so I think you'd probably be looking. Chuck probably has an Airbnb that he wants to see if (laughs) he can get some of these recruits visiting to come stay at his Airbnb. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you ask me who would I want, um, it would be Caleb Downs, but I don't think that's happening. That would be a pipe dream. That was someone that Notre Dame was involved with in re- in recruiting um, and, and had a really good freshman season there at safety. Um, uh, there was a clip going around on social media yesterday how Kirby Smart took time to, to uh, speak briefly with Caleb Downs after the SEC championship game. Um, and so I think people are – Georgia fans are hoping maybe a Caleb Downs enters the portal and, and heads over to Georgia. He's from Georgia as well. so um, And Notre Dame did try to recruit him out of high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's some running backs, Justin Haynes, Richard Young, that are freshmen that Notre Dame had recruited, but I don't necessarily see. Um, they need seven or eight running backs. Six isn't enough. For <laughs> right. I don't, I don't really see that happening. But, I mean, we're talking about really talented guys, so those would be guys that are like, you know what, if we're going to lose, we might lose someone if we take them, but these guys are good enough to bring on. Um, but I don't know that that I, I'm not predicting anything like that to happen, at least yet. It's too soon to, to know that for certain. All right. Next question is from at Patrick Shields zero. Can you guys rate your biggest portal win for Notre Dame and the biggest loss, meaning a player who transferred out? So incoming, there's a lot of impactful, uh, I, you know, you think about Notre Dame at the beginning of this uh, when they started accepting grad transfers and how many chronically injured players that they would take that didn't end up amounting to anything. And you look at this list and you go, wow, there are starters, potential starters up and down this list. And it's hard to say, well, yeah, maybe he's not going to be mm-hmm. all that good. Um I would say Riley Leonard because of his position. That would be, for me, the biggest get. For me, the biggest loss, I would say, even considering who they were able to get from the portal, I would say it's Rico Flores Jr. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think Flores is, one, I think 
the class that you lose the kid from, I think, is important too. Like, I think Chris Tyree would 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 have had a, a pretty big impact on Notre Dame's roster next season. Um, but Rico Flores could have impacted Notre Dame's roster for the next few seasons. Um, so I feel like that is the bigger loss, um, and biggest loss. Holden Stays is another guy that I think is very talented that would have had could have had a bright future at Notre Dame, but obviously the the tight ends that you have um on the roster will probably make up for that and make it feel less significant. Um I would agree on Riley Leonard. If I made you choose a defensive player um as the biggest impact defensive player that Notre Dame added, who would you choose? Well, I want to pick the guy that just did the podcast with us. <laughs> uh, uh Rod Hurd. I, I think he's important. Uh I'm gonna say probably RJ Oben because well Rod, I would say Oben or Hurd. Yeah, I think it's a toss up between those two. Obvious option if those guys didn't come. Um right. So I would uh you know what? I'm going to go with Rod Hurd the second because I think uh, I think he's a more proven player than RJ at this point. Yeah, I think I I, I could be I could be sold in either direction. I think with Hurd, it's he has had the track record that I think will allow him to transition to safety, um, and I think his playing style is important. And I think Notre Dame does a lot of different things with its safeties that will allow him to be used in a few different ways. Um, whereas Oban, he's had some moments at Duke and I think has been a good pass rusher at times, maybe not consistently enough and maybe not used enough, um, to be able to do that. Um, but I think there's just so much, at least from my perspective, there's so much promise and hope that this can just like, because of what happened with Javante Jean-Baptiste that Oban can sort of follow in that same mold, um, which may be putting, putting the cart ahead of the horse. Like I don't. He has to. It's it's not just an automatic that he's going to become uh, as good of a player as John Baptiste was this past season. But I would also say that RJ Oban was probably a better player coming out of Duke than John Baptiste was coming out of Ohio State. So um, I think um, both of those are, I think are going to have a big impact on Notre Dame's defense this coming season. All right, next question is from at Mike Devoy one. Happy New Year, Eric and Tyler. Who beyond Jaden Thomas and Deion Colsey are candidates for the boundary receiver position? We struggled a lot when both went down, so I'm hoping we've got some depth coming. Um, I've been trying to put these guys in different places. The thing is, it's hard to, you know, there isn't an obvious kind of candidate to be that third boundary receiver unless you consider Bo Collins, and then is yes. he really transferring in to be third string? Um, but Bo Collins' body type fits the boundary receiver. I would say out of the freshmen of the three, Micah Gilbert probably would project there, maybe eventually. Uh, so one of those two. But, I mean, there's 11 receivers on the roster. You would hope that that would be enough from a depth standpoint. Because if you get any deeper than that, then you have guys that are upset that they're not playing and they're going to transfer out. I think Bo Collins is a boundary receiver. Um, I think he probably, I mean, he has an opportunity to leapfrog Deion Colsey. Um, and I think it also gives you the flexibility to move Jaden Thomas around more, um, which I think Notre Dame would like to do. And so that's the, that's the first option that in terms of Notre Dame's recruits. I think Micah Gilbert is the most likely of, of the, of the three to be a boundary receiver. Um, I also think he's someone that could have a chance to contribute as a freshman. Um, so we'll see if that's where he ends up. But I think those those are two uh, solid options to to build your depth there uh, moving forward. All right, next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. And thanks to Marie, she sent a bunch of questions and we had we replaced them with some others that were similar to hers. Um, but this is the one that, copied off of her paper. <laughs> this is the one that made the podcast. If Riley Leonard plays somewhere close to his ceiling next year, how good can he be? Top 10 Heisman trophy candidate, top 20, etc. I think if Riley Leonard, I'm going to, I'm going to frame it differently and then I'll give you the answer that you want from your <laughs> multiple choice, Murray. I think if Riley Leonard 
place somewhere close to a ceiling next year. He will deliver the storyline that Sam Hartman didn't slash couldn't. And I don't throw that all on Sam Hartman's shoulders. Um, he will get Notre Dame into the playoff if he plays, given what else is on the team, given the transfer porter wide receivers and the newcomers and healthy receivers there, given that defense is going to be a top five defense most likely next year as well. He's got to cross his fingers about the offensive line. So where would that put him? You know, Hartman was 14th in pass efficiency. I don't know that Riley Leonard is going to be in the top 15, but he has the ability to be maybe the top running quarterback in college football. And then if you combine that with a markedly improved passer, that would make him a top 10 quarterback nationally. If he gets Notre Dame in the playoff, I think he would be viewed as that. Yeah, I, maybe this is splitting hairs here, but I, I I drew a difference between somewhere close to his ceiling and like totally maximizing his potential. I think if he gets somewhere close, he's a top 10 quarterback. If he gets totally maximized, I think he could be a Heisman Trophy candidate. Like I think those I think that's not out of the realm of possibility if everything goes right for Riley Leonard's transition to Notre Dame and 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 getting all of all everything out of his talent and then out of the talent that is surrounding him at Notre Dame. Now I'm not I'm not predicting that to happen, but I just think that those are those are within reach if if things go in the right direction. All right, the next question is from MGP at MG Perez 0718. Has Lauren Landau made any additions to his staff? Is he keeping any of the ND strength staff? I haven't seen uh, a lot of movement either way on that. I know there was a young man, Jared Rifle, who's um, from this area, who is um, a Taylor University grad, um, and he has announced that he's going to be an intern on the staff, but I haven't seen uh, much in terms of movement one way or the other at this point. So I wish I had a better answer for you. I think we'll get those answers here very soon. Yeah, I don't I don't have uh, much reporting to add uh, at this point yet either. Um I don't know. Like I it's not that these things aren't important, but it's, I just don't spend a lot of time trying to track down assistant strength and conditioning <laughs> staff uh, additions. We're trying uh, to learn as much as we can about the main person. Yeah, so um we we'll, we'll share that when we get that information, but I appreciate the interest and uh I think it is important, but it's just not, uh, it's not a world. Uh, I feel like I've been saying this for months now when people are asking of who was going to be hired before Leonard land, I was hired. It's just not a w world that I know a lot of people in or have a lot of connections to. So um, I don't have much to add at this point. Um, I'm going to throw in a question here that just got sent to me on Twitter that I, I think is an interesting one. So I'll add it. Uh, Ryan Urquhart, Urquhart at CRNA asked, do you see a reunion of Tommy Reese and Brian Kelly forthcoming? Um, I wouldn't rule that out. Um, Tommy's looking for a job and Brian's looking for an offensive coordinator and he tried. You mean to so long as Tommy doesn't get hired as the head coach at Alabama? <laughs> or Brian Kelly doesn't get hired as the head coach at Alabama. How's that? <laughs> well, Tommy becomes head coach and Brian becomes his offense. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't rule that out. I don't think that's a crazy thought. I mean, given that Mike Denbrock was just at LSU and that was somebody that Brian Kelly had worked with before and had been successful with before. I don't I don't think that's crazy. Yeah, it would be it would be odd given that it felt like Tommy Reese moving to get and going to Alabama was sort of like him sort of spreading his wings per se and sort of getting out of the Notre Dame world. Um and then for him to end up back with Brian Kelly um would put him back in sort of familiar territory with that, even though it's at a different school. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it given it, given LSU's opening um, and Alabama situation, I think it wouldn't make a lot of sense. I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe whoever gets hired as Alabama's head coach wants to keep Tommy Reese as offensive coordinator, but um, I don't know if Tommy Reese can sit around and wait to find, find that out either. So we'll, it'd be interesting to see where Tommy Reese ends up. All right, our last question is from Tim Sanders at DSAN, a bunch of numbers. Who are some of the 2025 wide receivers Notre Dame is recruiting since we have our deuce? 
and Deuce being Deuce Knight, the quarterback committed. I'm going to defer to you, Tyler, there. I mean, I've got the list of offers that Notre Dame has, but you know more who's coming for the junior day and who Notre Dame has a realistic chance at. Yeah, um, I wrote down one, two, three, six guys that I think um, are towards the top of Notre Dame's wish list and have shown interest in the Irish. Um, The one that's, I would say, the most likely to end up at Notre Dame is the one that's actually the lowest rated at currently, and that's three-star wide receiver Jerome Bettis Jr. Um, from College Park, Georgia, obviously the son of Notre Dame's former running back. Um, there are uh, – t- uh, Dalen McCutcheon is a four-star wide receiver out of Lucas, Texas. He is planning to be at Notre Dame for its junior day later this month. Some of the other names to know at wide receiver, Taylor Taylor out of the Chicago area is a four-star receiver. Taz Williams out of Texas is a four-star receiver who's visited Notre Dame. Derek Meadows out of Las Vegas. Bishop Gorman um, is a four-star receiver that um, has shown interest in Notre Dame. And then Kobe Howard from Davie, Florida is also a four-star receiver who's shown interest in Notre Dame. So those are some of the guys to watch moving forward. Uh, We'll see what sort of changes come uh, if other guys are prioritized, um, whether it's guys that Notre Dame has offered previously or guys that Notre Dame hasn't offered yet. With Mike Brown on staff, there hasn't been a lot of movement there yet, but I think we'll start to see that here as as Mike Brown has settled in and and tries to put his his uh, touch on Notre Dame's wide receiver recruiting efforts. All right, that is it for today's episode of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with someone who has a snowblower as we are expecting to get our first significant snow of the year here in South Bend this weekend. As I mentioned earlier, we're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to InsideNDSports.com. So please take advantage of that with code NDPOD. That's N-D-P-O-D. We're still in our weekly mode with the podcast and Football Never Sleeps over on YouTube. So keep up with us in both of those places. We're planning to be live on YouTube on Monday night for Football Never Sleeps. Until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. 